this morning, and we want to see you. So open our hearts that we may receive and understand and experience who you are, uh, the truth of your word in, in a powerful and transforming way this morning. We commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. <laughs> Uh, my name is Trenton, one of the pastors here at Lighthouse. Um, I have the privilege of uh, continuing this message series, uh, Loving as Jesus Loves. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about forgiveness. Ooh, uh, um, I think many of us uh, go about life um, with challenges in relationship. And very rarely do we sit and pause um, with how uncomfortable that is and what does that look like and what are we supposed to do. We just um, spent a, an amazing time praying uh, for the church around the world and for our enemies. And some of us hear that and go, gosh, I can barely forgive like, my friends and my family. How am I supposed to forgive people that are killing other people, things like that? Um, and so we're going to kind of wrestle with that this morning. We're going to um, talk a little bit about what do you do? How, how do you move forward in relationships that are, that are strained or broken? How do you deal with offenses to you, hurts that you've experienced that make it difficult to be in good relationship with other people? Um, a number of years, years ago I shared, uh, but it's been a long time, so I'll share very quickly. We had a, a very close family member, and she started dating somebody, um, and when we first met him, we just didn't get a really good feeling, kind of one of those guys. And uh, the kids were very young at the time, and they wanted to go and, you know, take the kids out and have a good time. I don't know if he was they were trying to impress us or anything, but they took him to the park and the zoo and everything. And then kind of stories started coming back about how he would let Brennan sit on his lap and drive down the road. I'm like, yeah, hey, your kid. Like, um, and I don't really know him. You know, I I do that in the in the woods and everything. But um, and Erica doesn't like that either when when the kids are little. But he we didn't know him. Um, st stuff when he would go out. Um, yeah, I would drink a lot and just kind of act. You know, kind of young and kind of immaturely. Anyways, um, come to find out, we had a a law enforcement uh, family friend or family member, and. Uh, the reason why they had just started dating was because he had just gotten out of prison. Um, and then the story is a long one, but he's a registered sex offender. And so we're, he's, and we kind of figure out some of the details. He's not supposed to be with people under the age of 18. You know, not supposed to be drinking and all these things. I am worked up like you can't even believe. So if you've ever been a in, a, in a situation where you just feel kind of betrayed, feel very hurt, very angry, um, and you don't know what to do with that, like I'm sitting right next to you in the seat. Um, we'll get back to the story later on. The, the short of this part is I contact his parole officer, violated his parole, and sent him back to prison for a year. Um, but what are you supposed to do with the relationship, and what are you supposed to do with forgiveness? We're going to read a, a verse out of chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 18, and, um, and we're going to see what it is that uh, we can think about with respect to forgiveness and offering that to other people. Matthew 18, starting in verse 19. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? 
Seven seems kind of a lot if people are kind of coming after you and like, okay, I forgive you, come back, forgive you. Seven also is kind of this Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebraic kind of word for, number for completion. It's this number he throws out, so that sounds about right, right? Good, seven. And then Jesus, come, Jesus answers, I tell you not seven times, but, sev- uh, but 77 times. And some of our old, older ones say 70 times seven. Um, and the idea isn't, okay, on the 78th time, come back to me and you get nothing. You know, uh, it's exponentially greater than that number of completion that Peter offered. Basically, just keep on forgiving and keep on forgiving. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, continues Jesus, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, okay, 10,000 bags of gold would be a lot now, <laughs> but it was a lot back, it was years and years and years worth of salary back then, you know, 10, 15 years. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him that amount of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will, I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So he had a debt. He couldn't repay. He begged for forgiveness or forgiveness of that debt. And the master let it go. And then this very same servant. But when this servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. 100 silver coins is considerably less than a whole bunch of bags of gold. Um, He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I I will pay it back. The very same thing that this servant said to his master. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants, okay, servant, servant, and other servants view this, saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. In the time, there was kind of a custom that if you're forgiven debt, then the people kind of down the line that owe you things there you forgive it and you pass on that grace, you pass on that blessing to other people. And so it was the servants that kind of understood what he really knew and wasn't passing on that were outraged and went and told the master. The master then calls in the servant. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have, have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay all that he owed. Obviously, he's not going to be able to pay that. He's got a whole bunch of gold (laughs) that he's got to owe, and now he's in jail. Like, he's not paying it back. And sometimes, I think when we read Scripture and we read these things, we kind of go, okay, well, what's the moral of the story? Okay, so he got forgiven, so we should probably forgive. And that's, that's, a, that's a good deal. We should forgive. And, and then we kind of move on and we go, if we don't get to that, kind of, well, God's grace kind of covers me and, you know, I'll kind of move on. He'll, he'll understand. There's some things in Scripture that, that Jesus says that God communicates that honestly I feel like can't be sugar-coated in that way. That can't be, can't release us from certain obligations in life. We do this with sin things too, like don't sin, and we're like, oh, well, when we sin, we're like, well, it's not that bad. I mean, he died for me and I'm forgiven. 
Jesus doesn't let us off the hook with this one, and it would be easier if he didn't say verse 35. And he continues, This is how your heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. There's this sense in which that unforgiveness in, in us is a revelation or reveals certain things. There's a statement that's going to be up here that's meant to kind of be a little bit tough to work through. Um, and it's this. Forgiveness reveals whether you have received forgiveness yourself. I could have made it softer. I could have made it easier. But Jesus is saying, just like this parable, if you can't forgive them, then you might not understand what forgiveness is for yourself. Forgiveness doesn't earn you God's favor. It doesn't, giving you forgiveness or giving forgiveness doesn't earn you God's favor. It doesn't earn you anything, okay? But our ability to or our denial of forgiving other people is a reflection of at least, at least our understanding of what forgiveness is for ourselves. And Jesus might go a little bit further and call into question, if I can't forgive somebody else, you don't know what forgiveness is, or maybe you don't have it at all. That unforgiveness in a heart may reflect an unforgiven heart. That's kind of what I had to wrestle with with this this incident. We'll come, we'll come back to that here in a little bit. I think when we talk about this first servant, when we talk about forgiveness extended to others, it first, it first starts with our understanding of what forgiveness is ourself and then what, what all that entails, what all of that means to us. What is forgiveness? The story of the scriptures and the story that God has woven throughout history is that he is a good and sovereign God. He is a creator king of this entire universe. And then when we look out in the world, we see things that don't match up with this good God sovereignness thing. We see war and famine and poverty and violence and abuse and all the rest. And there's problems all over the place. And, and throughout humanity, from time immemorial, humanity has tried to fix that. Right? We have tried to manipulate the world so that it kind of feels better. In the Enlightenment time, it was, okay, well, if we think right, right, if we're rational, if we're logical, we can think through the problems of this world and we'll come out as a better society and a better, better culture and better people, okay? That was in the 18th, 19th century. The 20th century followed that. World War I, World War II, the Soviet Union, and, and China, that, that these things that we try to do in the world to kind of manipulate things on the outside don't seem to bear the fruit that we would want on the inside or on, in the world, right? A lot of us believe um, education will fix everything. And so we look down upon cultures that are fighting and everything like that as if we don't fight, as if we don't participate in war, as if we don't, you know, we're not violent. And we try to educate the world into being a better place, and education will do that. We're in an election season, and many of us can kind of cross the line between believing that God is sovereign and in control, and we need to have a government that takes care of all of our problems. The reality is, if you had 
everyone educated, everyone thinking pretty well, and a government system that controlled all of the world, you still would not have the world the way it is because the problems of this world do not lie out there. They lie in here. They lie in our hearts. So you can manipulate everything on the outside, but you will not touch the, the core issue of what's wrong with this world and th- out of which all the evils come, and that's the brokenness of our heart. Everything else ends up being utilitarian in nature. I see a problem, I try to fix it. I see a problem and I try to fix it, but the human heart is in need of something that no human can provide. Our separation from God because of our sin and rebellion. Our offense of the sovereign king of this universe. The punishment that our sin and our evil deserves requires a solution and an antidote that can only come from the one who's offended. Namely God. So that God in Jesus comes down and forgives us and all who place their faith in him. And so that's why Jesus is the only way to salvation and to eternal life. It's not because God is some kind of inappropriately exclusivistic God. It's not because Christians just kind of happen to stumble upon this idea and then we think we're better than everybody else and better than every other religion. It's because the sovereign God of this universe, the king of this universe, has revealed, showed himself in the person of Jesus. The one we've offended the one to whom we have obligation morally and ethically, has now provided a way for us to be released, free, and forgiven. God has come down to us in Jesus and offered himself as an atonement, a payment, a sacrifice, the one that we deserve to pay on our own. He lived this life, an amazing one. He died an inglorious death, the one that you and I are supposed to die. And then now we can experience true life. The next um, blank is, is only received through Jesus, Colossians 1.13. And the idea is that, that salvation is revealed through this person of Jesus and him, and him alone. And so that's where we start. That's where we start. Colossians 1.13 says... Um, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so that's where where we begin. And now, as a result, our entire lives are lived in light of that one act, in light of that demonstration of God's love for us, dying on a cross while we were yet sinners, where then he demonstrates his love, his justice, his mercy, his compassion, his grace, and his forgiveness. And now all of our understanding of those things are informed by that one act, by the act, that self-giving act of dying on the cross for us. And now our lives are lived in response to that and in alignment with these gospel truths. And in very many ways, our lives can be judged by, okay, our living in accordance with or out of step with what God has already done for us. Jesus does that with forgiveness. He's judging people's 
eternal space, their spiritual, their spiritual lives by how he sees them living out these, these gospel truths. So then how do we respond? What are you supposed to do? I did violate the guy's parole, and he did go back to prison for a year. He was not happy. Uh, it caused a riff in the family. Um, I was told I didn't understand, you know, I should just care for him, everything like that. Um, and then God started to do this thing in me. Um, I was reading a book, What's So Amazing About Grace, and I think Phil said that they're reading it in their small group, What's So Amazing About Grace. And in it, Philip Yancey talks about this idea of grace and forgiveness, the hallmark of Christianity that sets it apart from every other world religion that you receive something that you don't deserve, and now what? Now how do you live your life? And it bothered me. And I went to Eric and I said, hey, I think I'm supposed to go talk to this guy. And she goes, why? <laughs> I mean, we were still burnt. I mean, this is a couple years later. And I got some, I started getting counsel, right? Um, went to friends, a couple pastors said, hey, I think I'm supposed to go talk to this guy. Minus one, they all said, you don't owe that guy nothing. Just protect your family, you're good, stay up here, you're fine. And I just like, I don't know, I mean, I can't shake it. So the next time we're in town, um, I give him a call and I said, hey, would you mind meeting me for coffee? And so we, spent a, we went in Starbucks, I remember the place, I remember how we're sitting. Um, he is huge, like this really big guy, right? Um, and, but he's kind of intimidated by me somehow, I don't know how that works, um, uh, yeah, I don't know how that works. Um, and the, long, the, the, short, the short of it is, we sat there for two and a half hours, and I wanted to communicate to him two things. Um, the first was, I wouldn't want someone to, to, to take two or three of my worst days on earth, should they know about them, and then judge me by those. That would be, that would be really bad. <laughs> that would be really bad. And I said, I think I've done that to you and I want to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. The other thing is, I said, um, as a follower of Jesus, my life is lived because I have grace, because I've been forgiven, because I have a life that I don't deserve, and I'm asked to extend that to other people, and I don't feel like I've done that to you, and I want to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. Now, I didn't um, automatically, like, start loving this guy and want to kind of hang out and, you know, go to the bars and just kind of just chum around, and while well, I drink my Diet Coke, and, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, it didn't happen like that. Uh, it didn't take away, like, if I could throw you, I'd want to throw you, you know, I wouldn't be able to throw him very far, but like, it just, it didn't take that away. Um, it did end up healing the relationship to the point where we were in his wedding. Uh, we share, we spend time together at family function, functions, her side and my side, um, which is very important to me. Um, so how we respond ends up, ends up being, being really, really important. However, there are some instances where it, is, it work, doesn't work out as well, and it's even harder. Um, the next, the next uh, let me read Ephesians chapter 4 really quick, and uh, we'll talk about this verse and what something out of it. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, as in Christ God forgave you. When we were in Kenya, um, 
it was, we had this very, very challenging relationship. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a challenging relationship in church. Maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, we came in, uh, God brought us to Mombasa, oh, sorry, that's what's brought us to this uh, city in East Africa and um, had friends there. And we were working with uh, street boys and we were in the process of tr transitioning the ministry over to me as the kind of the head. There was a, a young lady that was part, that was a Kenyan that had been, had a relationship with the boys. And what started happening was she started being very threatened by me. Um, she, we, when we set rules, she would tell the boys that they didn't have to follow them. She would let them, as a single woman, let them stay over at her house, have them come home at all hours of the, day, uh, all hours of the night, um, and started kind of lying about us to them and all these things. And we have a rule, it's a biblical rule, but we have a rule that we don't say anything bad about somebody, ever. So I couldn't correct them in that, like, hey, she's just a liar, you know. Um, I could answer their, thing, their, their concerns and just live out who I was before them. Um, but then she started getting really upset and started calling me names and sending me texts, blowing, things, blowing my phone up. And so I sat down with her and I said, hey, you know, if, this is, if God's in this, then we need to do this God's way. And I don't appreciate, you know, getting called names, this kind of stuff. If, if you don't want to work with us, then you don't have to work with us. I mean, it's okay. Um, she took that as I kicked her out. And then proceeded to go around town. She's a well-known Christian in the town and started, started basically telling everyone that we, we kicked her out, that I was a mean person, I was, I was vicious and you know, money-hungry, I was trying to make money off the boys and all these things. And so we would walk into different, different settings and you could just feel like people looking at you like, I don't know you, but I don't think you like me. And it's not because I'm Asian, like there's something, and they would just, it was, it was horrible. Um, and what would happen at, so the, the end of it is basically, um, we confronted, we talked, we, everything, and nothing got better. I have done nothing wrong. You're the one that's in the wrong. Have you ever been in a relationship or interacted with somebody that they're not interested in giving forgiveness, offering forgiveness, being in a relationship? They don't see any problem with lying about you all those kind of things. Um, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God, in Christ, God forgave you. Ha! <laughs> she hates me! <laughs> so I'm going to forgive you, and you're going to continue to lie about me. I'm going to forgive you, and you're going to continue to try to undermine everything. She started raising money to try to take the boys away. Like, it was crazy. I was an elder at the church. We had her in in church discipline about another matter, and I have to sit there and kind of be cordial, and she's yelling and screaming, keep on forgiving, keep on forgiving. Really? Okay, there is a couple of things that I want to bring to mind that allow us to do that, that enable, enable us to do that, because much of Christianity maybe that we experience is, okay, well, if I give you a, a Christian principle, a whole list of them, you live them out, then you're living a Christian life. And though we do live based on principles, we live based on a relationship with our Creator through Jesus that enables us to have this new life, that makes us a new creation, that allows us, gives us power to live into this 
new life that he's called us to. And so that it isn't like other religions where, okay, well, you just follow this set of rules, it earns you salvation, and you better do it well, otherwise you're kind of screwed, okay? It's Jesus saves us. He gives us a new life. He infuses us with power and strength that is not our own and then calls us to live this new life. And then in, in terms of forgiveness, we look back at what it was that happened and what it is that we have at our disposal. And there's two things that I want to talk about just very briefly. Forgiveness can only be offered to others because of Jesus' forgiveness of us. Because there's two things. One, there's a spiritual humility. You can offer forgiveness to other people because you know, you know, you know that you are no better than anybody else. Paul... The Apostle Paul, like elevated Paul, the amazing Paul, calls himself the chief of all sinners. How does he do that? Because when confronted with the whole, a holy God, you know that you are deserving of nothing. Nothing. And those of us that have said yes to Jesus have essentially said, I deserve nothing. Without God, I am nothing. And we've humbled ourselves and said, I cannot earn life, I cannot create life, I cannot save myself, and throw, so I throw myself on the mercy of God, and in his grace and in his love and compassion, he gives us this thing that we don't deserve. You have life for no other reason than he loves you. And so when you receive that and you have this should have this spiritual humility, then when you step into a relationship or step into a situation with somebody else, there is no ability to look down on them. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. Because you are no better than anybody else. There's also something that you get with this, and there's a whole bunch of things, but I think one in particular that has, has helped me, you have a strength of identity. When, when you say yes to Jesus and you're forgiven, you are now a daughter, okay, or a son of the king, the king of this universe. And that in and of itself allows you to have this identity that is irrespective, does not take into account anything on the outside, only what God says of you. So now there's this humble confidence that I, I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I'm always loved. God is with me forever and I am his son, and I am his daughter. Can't be both, but like, I'm his son or his daughter. And nothing that anyone says about me or any way that they treat me can change that. Minus that, what are you left with? You're left with every time someone says something to you, every time someone treats you any way, that informs who you are. Because there's nothing outside of maybe your own ideas that informs who your identity is, except some kind of social construction. However, if there is a truth about you that is irrespective of what other people think of you, and in a lot of ways what you think of yourself, then you stand in a position of strength, humble strength, a humble strength of identity that allows you to withstand whatever it is that comes against you opinion or, or otherwise. We're going to move on to Matthew chapter 18 now and
quickly through um, this story of in, in, the, in the church um, and how to deal with sin in a godly way. Um, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. So I'm just going to read through it. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take two or three others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as a pagan, you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Ah, oh, you didn't know that was in that pot, pot, little part, huh? We usually refer to it as like a, something that has nothing to do with church discipline. There is the truth that there are two or three gathered, or two or three gathered in your name that he's there, but he's everywhere anyways. But anyways, um, but, uh, but when we invite him, the two or three has to do with uh, testimony, that in the time it took two or three people, eyewitnesses, to establish um, the ability to testify and have it kind of hold up in court, um, as well as in this case, where they're saying is when you bind and loose, where, you're, where, where the church is deciding between, amongst themselves what is sin and what's not, what is happening is when there's a, a, a testimony of two or three people, when there's things that are agreed upon in the church, it is as though, because they have authority, it is as though it is the same as in heaven. So when the church is dealing with sin, and when they call that sin out, then it is very, it is very much like, since Jesus is pre- God is present there, that God is making the same judgment as the, as the believers because they have the same authority. Here's what I want us to try to step back into that time. We live in a cultural milieu, a Christian cultural milieu, subculture, where if you don't like what I say, you can go to a different church. If you don't like the worship, which I don't know how you don't like this worship, but anyways, if you don't like the worship, you go to another church. If it's too dark, too loud, too light, the colors too wrong, you go to another church. If you don't like this person, you either sit on the other side or you go to another church. At the beginning of the church, when these things were written and when Jesus is establishing and through Acts, there is nowhere else to go. The church of Colossae, is the church of Colossae. And if you don't like it, then you're not part of the church and you go out. The way that we deal with sin and we deal with issues and relationship in here, we do by virtue of our geographic and our historical, historical kind of time period. Oh, there's like 4,000 churches in like this area. Let's screw that guy or girl. I'm going over here. One, there's only one church in that area. Two, there is only one church, period. Where are you going to go in heaven? I'm going to the southeast corner because they reside in the north. I mean, what the heck is... Our understanding of oneness, our understanding of unity in the body is so tainted by institution or corporation and less by family, informed by family, and oneness, that we apply these things in kind of an odd way. Oh, I'll just leave. Screw that guy. Like, I don't, I don't like him. Okay, Jesus died for him just like he died for you. He's your brother. 
more than your blood brother is your brother. She's your sister. So when we talk about these things, there is a sense in which sin and in relationship and unity is, is a huge thing that we need to think about. Okay, I'm going to read, kind of go on in this, um, to name a few things that I think we can, need to take out of this. One, when we deal with sin, I think we need to do, deal with it humbly. Okay, I think we need to deal with it respectfully. Because you're loving the person Okay? You're wanting to restore relationship. That's the goal. It isn't punishment. It isn't like, ah, you suck. Like, I told you so. You're such a, like, you're not just waiting for someone to step out of line and just with the church discipline thing or the conf- confronting thing. Ah, Jesus told me to confront your sin. You, like, pointing at, it isn't that. It, the whole point is to restore people, to love people well. And so we need to do that humbly, okay, and graciously, yet directly, and first. Matthew 18 is, gonna, is saying, if there is sin, you go yourself. You don't get a, commu- like a committee of people and talk about how horrible this person is on the outside and everything. If someone offends someone or you know that someone's in sin, you go sit down or look them in the eye or however that works for you and address it one-on-one. Okay? It's a respect of that individual to talk to them before you go and gossip about it for someone else. Gossip for me is talking to people that have no, no part in this or ability to affect it. No part in this and no ability to affect it. If there's no part in this and no ability to affect it, they have no business knowing about it. Unless what we're saying is I'm getting counsel for someone and it's going to stay there. It isn't a matter of pray for me because there's this situation and you just go, Bleh! or you sit in a semi-smaller, larger group of people and you just, everyone knows what this other person has done and you have yet to talk to them about it. Okay, respectfully, humbly, directly, and first. And then there's a few things at the end, what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not pretending like nothing happened. And forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. It's not pretending like nothing happened, and it's not minimizing the offense. Something has happened, something has hurt, and that is real and that is true. And so when we forgive, it is not, okay, well, it never happened. I'll just kind of interact, like pretend like it never happened. Okay, if someone steals money from you, okay, you can't pretend like it didn't happen and give them your ATM card again. Like, that just that doesn't work that way. If someone has hurt you, you're not going to say, hey, well, you know, if you feel like beating up on someone again, here I am, okay? If trust has been broken, even if forgiveness is extended, trust needs to be reestablished, okay? If someone, in this case, like is a sex offender, they're not going to be watching my kids, let alone me paying them to babysit, but yet I can forgive them, okay? It's not minimize, minimizing anything. It's not, it's not pretending it's also not forgetting. Okay, some people tie this idea of forgiveness to, well, as soon as I just can't remember that anymore, then I'm done forgiving. And it's not that. There are things that we have experienced that God needs to heal, but that we may never forget. And it's also not easy. It's also not easy. The application of God's love in our lives 
we tend to think of it or tend to put it in the category of something very encouraging, um, very security kind of inducing and, you know, content, contentedness. And a lot of the times when God asks us to step out and love, which is a decision, to forgive, which is a decision, it doesn't feel very good. And it is not very easy at all. Forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the releasing of debt. The releasing of debt so that you don't owe me anything. You killed my reputation. You hurt me physically. You can't heal me. You can't fix my reputation. You can't take back the offense. You can't make it right. And even if you could, what I'm saying is I release you from that. I release you from that. It's also an ongoing decision. It is not a one-time thing of which, okay, I forgive that person, done. Should I feel better about this? And then they walk back in the room and it's like all back, like, oh man, if I could hit that person with a car, that'd be great. You know, oh wait, no, it's an ongoing decision. It's a reminder, no, I have forgiven that person of the debt. They owe me nothing. It's a reminder. When I would see this young lady, every single time, I would just mad, like hair, red, just, no, I've I've forgiven them. Sometimes I would say, Jesus forgave me of a lot more and a lot worse, and so then I can love and care and forgive, and it's an ongoing decision. And the last thing is it's not optional. It's not optional, okay? Um, We're going to transition into a time of communion now, Um, and we're going to do something a little bit different, um, where we're going to kind of open up a little bit of a space. Um, the prayer team will be on the sides. Um, I think what happens sometimes is even messages like this, where we say, okay, it isn't about practical application. It isn't just about following principles and everything. We just kind of release you and go apply the principles. you know. Um, but there's a sense in which forgiveness... Um, for ourselves is a supernatural thing, as well as the ability to forgive others and step into relationships that are, that are very challenging. Um, 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper... He took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Forever, wherever, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. And usually we stop there. There's a, passage, there's a couple of verses past that in verse 27 that says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ, or blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so this morning, I want to kind of just create some space for you before we participate and partake in communion, which will kind of come up the inner aisles and go out. Um, If there are issues, like in your own personal walk, where um, you need prayer for. Just ask that during our time of quiet, just go and 
to the sides and receive prayer for that. Um, maybe today is the day that you say, I need forgiveness. I, I, I need to say yes to Jesus and enter into this lifelong journey. I need God to help me orient my life and my heart to the things that he wants. Um, I would ask that you would go um, up there and get, receive prayer. Um, and then if there is relationships, like we talked about, where something's wrong, something's broken, either that you've done or that someone else has done, then I would ask that you would bring that before the Lord and, and do business with Him. Um, Mark eleven twenty five says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, it's pretty broad, <laughs> anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And like I said, it's not an earning of the forgiveness of sins. It's a reflection of that. And he's saying, forgive them, because Christ, God in Christ has forgiven us. So let me pray. We're going to sit here for a little bit, um, and then uh, I'll close us and release you to uh, participate in communion. Father, thank you for this morning, for this time that we can have to sit before you, and we invite your spirit to convict, to challenge, um, to be present with us.